0: I can continue with the series and the other thing is that this is such an important part of John. We're getting to the epicenter of John's teaching and it's so important that we have this teaching. Uh, so uh, I really didn't want to in any way delay this. And so my goal today is to receive Jesus' teaching on how to have victory in the Christian life to receive Jesus' teaching on how to have victory in the Christian life. And my plan for today is, first we're going to look at the true vine and the branches, and that's the first six verses. Then we're going to look at how to live connected with the vine, and then end with our response. So, a very quick overview. You can divide John into two halves. The first half is the Book of Glory. Uh, sorry the book of signs the second half is the book of glory Uh, book of glory we have a meal at the beginning a meal at the end and then we have uh, the central section of it is new teaching from Jesus and his arrest crucifixion and his resurrection and we're coming to the climax of the new teaching from Jesus which is in verses 14, chapters 14 through 17. Quick summary the last three weeks uh, three weeks ago, actually four weeks ago, Jesus is the God who will wash your feet and love you to the end. The God who will love you to the end. Nothing will make Him let go of you. Three weeks ago, sorry, two weeks ago, the care, empathy, and unselfishness of Jesus. He's about to die, but He's thinking of the disciples and saying, "Don't let not your heart be troubled." And then he said, actually, the Father is just like me. The Father is somebody who has unselfishness and empathy. And this was like a new revelation for me. Just to see God the Father as unselfish is quite extraordinary. And then last week, an invitation to step step into the same love is as between Jesus and the Father. And we saw that amazing invitation Jesus gives for us. So... This week, we're going to be looking at the first six verses of chapter 15. And they are in a semi-poetic form, and it's like a beautiful flower with leaves around the outside and a colourful blossom, a bloom in the middle. And verses 4 and (coughs) 5 are the, the bloom in the middle. And I've made a little animation which uh, I hope is going to work. And the animation is for the Bloom opening up. And so uh, I really hope this works for you guys watching online, and uh, we're going to try it. And those of you who just listened to the audio, I'm afraid you're going to miss out on that, but um, then I'll try and describe it. They're missing like 20% of the words on the right edge right now. Okay. So what I'm going to do. the animation. Mm. Well. You can get a bit. More okay. Of it. Let me thank you. There's got a lot of white space there you on go. The left. Yeah. Is that better? Uh, we'll know in like a second. But I would. Yeah. No. Yes. yes. Okay. So uh, l- let's. Um, so let me just describe it for those of you who are not able to see anything. Uh, the first two verses. Describe the picture of the father being the vine dresser and he's a gardener and Jesus is the true vine and he's he's looking after this vine and then verse 6 again goes back to that picture of what it's like for the father to be the vine dresser and clearing up the vine and then um, the middle section which is verses 4 and 5 are the blossom within these outer leaves so let me read the outside to start with I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cleans away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans, or prunes, so that it will bear more fruit. I put cleans there because it's exactly the same word. It's like a play on words. It occurs three times in here, and we translate it prune because we don't usually think of pruning as cleaning. But that's the word that worked for them. So, every branch that bears fruit, he cleans, or prunes, so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So, that is how it's introduced. And then it closes with the same metaphor. Verse 6 says, second part of verse 6. They are thrown out like a branch and dry up, and such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire, and are burned up. So... (coughs) In the middle then we have this bloom and starting verse 4, dwell in me and I will dwell in you and I've summarized it or you cannot possibly bear fruit if anyone does not dwell in me and then so on. So what happens in the middle is about the motivation to do this, it's the explanation for this parable of the vine, it's the core of the message and so I'm going to see if this works. Theoretically, if I click on here, yay, there we go. So the blue opens up, and we have what happens in the middle. And you can see it's just beautifully symmetrical the way he's done that. Just as the branch has no power to bear fruit by itself unless it dwells in the vine, so neither can you bear fruit unless you dwell in me. And then right in the middle, we have the statement again, I am the vine and you are the branches, perfectly in the middle there. And then we go back to the same idea, the one who dwells in me and I in them bears much fruit. So that stated the way round. It was, neither can you bear fruit unless you dwell in me. And now it's, if you dwell in me, you'll bear much fruit. So it's perfect symmetry there. And then it closes with the statement about power because apart from me you have no power to accomplish anything so as you can see the central part is perhaps the most important statement um, in this whole section of John it's the core of Jesus' teaching it's where the power flows from and he's been talking about uh, how we should behave and uh, all these things about, about our life but it's no good unless you have the power and so this, this um, Teaching here, then, in the middle, is about power. Um, Some people call this the parable of the vine, and, you know, it's something that in an agricultural society would be very vivid, but, you know, even us who are not farmers, we can understand this pretty well. You know, you have a plant and you cut the branch off, it's going to wither and die. None of us need any, any convincing about that. So it's a universally understood image that Jesus has used here. But I think the real question that comes up is, what does it mean to dwell? What does it mean here to dwell or to abide? How? How? Now, this word is a key word here in this whole section, and it's been translated, I'll have a look at different translations. Uh, abide is the old King James, um, remain, reside, stay, those are different words. And I've translated dwell because it's exactly the same as before. Jesus was saying, I will come and dwell with you. You okay. dwell with me. I'm preparing a dwelling for you. And that, words, a key word right throughout this sentence. So he's tipping, tapping in to that idea of like living together. And it's, a, it's something that's not temporary. You just stay in that. But there's a closeness with another person. Hmm. So... Um, it's the idea of living in close connection with. So, you get the idea. Uh, I think we can all be convinced that this is a really important idea. It's crucial. It's central. But it still raises a question. And the question is, what on earth does it mean to dwell? Like, how do I dwell? What, what is this about, this dwelling idea? And this uh, has been something which is, a lot of people have written about and thought about because it's such a key idea. So um, one, I, I'll just give you some suggested answers to that. Could you just pass me the whiteboard? Here. Uh, some suggested answers to that. So one of them is that dwelling or abiding is some sort of mystical experience like emptying yourself. and this is um, often proponents of this idea are they've had some kind of mystical experience and they're trying to find a scripture to hang it on and they use these verses to hang it on and really that idea is disconnected from the rest of the passage on um, Jesus' teaching here so um, it's it's um, unrelated to Jesus' commands uh, the second idea is that dwelling and abiding is quite simply obedience. And when you look at the context, this does seem to make sense. You know, Jesus says, uh, you know, abide in me, abide in my commands, and so on. Quite simply obedience. But there's a major problem when you actually start thinking this through. Because Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit. And bearing fruit means obeying. So, in other words, if you abide in me, you'll be able to obey. But hang on, so how do we abide by obeying so we have a chicken and egg situation that you can't abide unless you obey, but you can't obey unless you're abiding, and so you know the whole the whole thing really breaks down on that. So there is something there, but it's got to, it's it's not quite that. Um, so there's uh, two other suggestions, and I'm going to give you a I'm not going to give you a spoiler here, but I'm going to say I'm going to be addressing this next week. So, but we're going to come to some understanding this week. I'm not going to go through detail about what it is. Um, uh, but I'm to, I, I really want to... I don't want to think it's too long this week, but I want to get to the core of what I think the, uh, the real answer is <coughs> rather than looking at what other people's answer might have at this point. Um, so, the answer really is that we have to look at the next passage. Because the next passage is another flower in which Jesus has a bloom in the centre, and the bloom in the centre is the answer to this question. So, let's uh, look then at the next passage, and I'm going to do what I did before, and we have another little animation that hopefully is going to work, another beautiful flower. So, verses uh, 7 and 8 are the starting leaves in this, they open this up, and then verses 16 and 17 are the closing leaves. But actually we have three blooms in this. And I'm going to open them up separately. The, uh, so what I'm going to do then is read the outer verses and then zoom in and gradually zoom in on the center. And then the flowers can open. So let's look, read verses 7 and 8. If you dwell in me and my word dwell in you, Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Well, that's, a, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's a strong um, motivation. And actually, this links into uh, a couple of chapters ago, Jesus said something very similar, and now he's picking up on that theme and developing it. So, if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you, you can ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you then he says my father is honored by this that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples so two things that are going to happen then if you're doing this if you are dwelling first of all you're going to you're going to be able to ask and receive power and the second thing is that you're going to honor the father bear much fruit and show your disciples, and then we end this this little um, this little blossom, this little uh, arrangement, with the same ideas in reverse order. Sixteen, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. In other words, you are my disciples to go and bear fruit, and fruit that remains. So, in other words, so this is your destiny. This is what you're here for: is to bear this fruit. And he actually uses the same word for fruit. The fruit is actually going to remain as well. It's going to be permanent. It's not only really fruit that just happens and it's gone. And then uh, he says, so that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he'll give to you. And that um, closes out the beginning idea that you know, this doing this is going to give us the ability to ask prayers which are heard by the Father and so, so, here again, we've got the, around the beginning and the end, we've got the framing leaves for this flower, but we don't have the central idea. We're going to have to wait for that and keep going in suspense for a moment. So, then we have the first, so I'm going to step back a bit to verse 9. Verse 9 is, how I dwell in the Father is the pattern for you. So, how I'm going to do this He says, I'm actually going to show you what I do. Because actually, just like I'm telling you to dwell with me, I'm doing this with the Father. So if you can get how I do it with the Father, then you'll know how to do it with me. And then he says, this is how, and that's the middle bit. And then he goes back, now you are with me and the Father. And the the Father and and you and me are together in this as a result of this. You're joining me with the Father. Hmm. Does that make sense? So again, we've got a symmetry here. We've got the two, we've got three. We've got three blooms within this flower, and the central one is the most important. But he opens by saying this is going to be a pattern, and he closes by saying the results of this in the relationship with the father. So, are you ready to open the first one? Mm-hmm. You guys with the prints have it there already, so you've got it. You can cheat. But um, uh, here we go. So this is the pattern, and. We open it up and he says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, dwell in my love. In other words, the Father has loved me, I have loved you, dwell in my love. And then he's going to go back through it. If you obeyed my commandments, you will dwell in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and dwell in his love. Do you see the symmetry in that? He's trying to give a pattern. So, the first verse nine is the Father's love me, I loved you, dwell in my love. And then he works back again. You obey my commandments; that's how you dwell in my love. I obey my Father's commandments; that's how I dwell in His love. Mm. So this is so important to us because Jesus is giving us a pattern for His own empowering on earth. Now, of course, He is God, and He's He could. stepped out of his earthly limitations at any time he wanted to and chosen to act as God but that would have defeated the purpose of demonstrating what uh, a life could be like just empowered by the spirit of God Mm. so he chose not to do that, he chose to live a life which was a kind of life that we could live apart from the atonement of course Uh, the kind of life that we could live And so part of that was demonstrating a submission to the the commands to the Father. Everything the Father gives me to do, I do. And in doing that, he demonstrated through that connection with the Father, the Father's power flowed through him through the Spirit. And so what he's saying is that you can't separate the power for the miracles that I'm doing from the fact I'm living in this obedient relationship to the Father. They're one and the same, and the extraordinary thing is that this verse is a pattern for us. So this is an incredibly powerful verse, because it's telling us that, that we can look at Jesus as an example for how to live our Christian life, because he lived in this delight to do the will of the Father, and in the power that flowed through that. Okay, does that make sense? Right now, uh, I'm going to open up the last, the third of the blooms, which is is verse 15. And we're going to see the result of this. The result is, of course, and related to the Father, of course. I no longer call you servants, because the servant does not understand what the Master is doing. But I have called you beloved friends, because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my Father. And so you are able now, you're able to hear the Father's will. You're able to do what I did, because you you hear my commands, but actually they're flowing from the Father. So this um, this is important, that we know we're not just following some other commands, that this is actually, we're centrally in line with this flow of the Father's will, Jesus' will, our will, and the Father's power, Jesus and us. The whole thing is flowing down, and we're aligned in that. And... Um, we, we've been called beloved friends and I'll come back to that just in a minute. Now of course we have one part left which is the very center and the, the wonderful thing about this is just how beautifully it's laid out and how powerful it is the way it's been given to us. This is my commandment, verse 12 to love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his beloved friends. You are my beloved friends, if you do what I command you. So, he's introduced a new word there, which I've translated beloved friends. It's philoi, which is the Greek word, and it means beloved ones, but it's also got the connotation of of, of friend. Uh, But it's stronger than just somebody who's your friend. Because you wouldn't, you, there's not a word, there's not another word for a, a beloved person. This is the word you would use. And so this, I feel beloved friends is probably captures the best uh, idea of the nuances in what Jesus is saying. And so, so let's look at what he's saying then. This is my commandment. And he begins and ends at verse 12, this is my commandment, verse 14, if you do what I commanded you. The commandment is to love one another just as I have loved you but then he steps back into this kind of the pattern he is a pattern for us. The Father gave him a command and he has obeyed that command and here, here it is greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his beloved friends, which is what Jesus is doing. Like that is he's basically saying this is me. I'm doing this. You are my beloved friends. In other words, I'm talking about you here. I'm about to lay down my life for you if you do what I command you. So very clearly Jesus is linking this abiding to his own death. And he's saying, let's put this in a nutshell. I am about to demonstrate obedience to the command of the Father. Follow his desires, do his perfect will by Laying down my life for you, and by through this, I'm demonstrating this flow of love between me and the Father. You do the same as you follow this pattern, and you will actually be in the same relationship of dwelling, of abiding. And um, you might say, "Why didn't you just state it like that?" Because this is such an important truth. You couldn't state it in just a couple. You could have done it in just two verses. but he's given this whole picture of the vine and this whole thing here which is very elaborate why do that? because it is so important that he wanted us to stop and think about it to give attention to it to ponder it to say what's going on here to focus on it and that's why I don't want to just leave this week I want to spend some more time focusing on it next week and next week I want to spend more time actually looking at how this can work out in our lives and what it means like practically because this is one of the most important teachings of scripture And we can't just gloss over it, we have to give it time and see the importance of it. So then, right in the middle of this second block of teaching we're looking at today, we have the commandment of Jesus to love one another, not just to love one another, but to see his example of love, and to step into that example of love. And as a result of that, we become his beloved. Uh, and we're the beloved of the Father. And we have fruit that remains. So, um, I, I've got my last, my last point is our response. And um, I'm going to have to say that, uh, to be continued, because this has got such a big response, I just can't fit it all in now. Um, but I'm going to give you a clue as to what's going to be coming in, and that's the Holy Spirit. Because this immediately links into the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And when people who try to answer this question, what abiding in him is about, they often don't consider the context which really is the revelation of the coming of the Spirit. So that's part of it. But that doesn't, um, just saying the Holy Spirit doesn't uh, in any way diminish the requirement on us to love one another sacrificially. It's just how we're empowered to do that. so I'm going to ask Ruth to come up now because I'm going to get her to read uh, a, a, um, a story of a, a hymn that was written, and I'm getting her to do it because if I if I try and do it, I'm going to cry. I know I am. So um, I'm going to get some um, Ruth to come and read this. Do you have it here? you have it? You don't have it here because I'm not it to you. All right, you there we go. It, Ruth? Okay, Ruth, do you, you want to go and step round here? You just throw here we are. Can you step so you can see your picture in there? Okay. okay. So, actually, let me just bring it up on the screen as well, so that um, you can stay there, so that people so can be good. following it. Um, give me one moment um, to to get this up.
1: going to bring this across.
0: Okay, you can start.
1: Okay. So this is a story of uh, Abide With Me. Henry Light was left an orphan at the age of nine and was taken in by a kind Irish pastor who had five children of his own. He took Henry in and provided well for him. Henry followed in his adopted father's footsteps, attended Trinity College in Dublin, and became an ordained minister. There was a lot of sickness at that time, and Henry and his wife gave themselves to taking care of the sick. Henry became ill with tuberculosis and was not expected to live much longer. At the age of 54, Henry prepared a farewell sermon for the morning of September fourth, 1847, which included the lyrics of Abide With Me. Henry Light passed away ten weeks after preaching this farewell sermon. Don't hear the words as depressing.
0: But feel the complete peace of someone who knows they are bathed in the love of Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to scroll this down. And Ruth is going to read this to us, and I just want to say I felt this was very appropriate because of the sickness we see around us. That I'm not I, I'm not saying that you and I are called to to um, die of COVID-19 as a way of showing our love. That's not what we're called to do. But this was his calling. Tuberculosis was like a plague. He. Tended to the sick and died as that as a result, and so he actually did give his life for those that Jesus loved, and so um, and because the hymn is called "Abide with Me," I thought, thought that was a, a a really amazing convergence of those two ideas. And this is a this hymn is actually um, quite well known. It was. Um, it was sung at um, one of the Olympics, recently, ni- 1992 Olympics, it was, it was opened with this song. So it's quite a well-known song, you've probably heard it before.
1: Okay. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who, like thyself, my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, Lord, abide with me. I fear no foe, with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight, and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave, thy victory? I triumph still, if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks, and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me
0: here you. here so I have one more slide where I tried to put together some of these uh, ideas and this is the secret of the victory and I'm just going to uh, highlight some of the verses that we've seen today if you dwell in me and my words dwell in you ask whatever you want and it will be done for you and then we have if you obey my commandments, you will dwell in my love. And then we have, this is my commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. So that's the step. If you want, if you dwell in me, this is power in the Christian life. This is a, a connection with the vine that will enable the vine's power to flow through you. And this is done by connecting with my commandments, and this is my commandment, to love one another as I've loved you. And I want to say that this is in you. I'm going to give you like a short a short, um, uh, ending um, encouragement that if you are a Christian, you already have the Spirit in you. You already have the love of Jesus in you. You do not have to work it up. It's in you. What you have to do is to choose to express it, to allow it to express And so when you have a situation where part of you says, oh, you know, I shouldn't do that, I'll lose if I do that. And part of you says, no, this is the thing to do. I feel this is what Jesus wants me to do. You can choose that because his life is in you. His power is in you. And uh, so I want to say then, choose to allow this love to flow out of you and you will experience the love of God flowing into you. So I want to suggest to you that it's only actually as you start to step out In the love of Jesus, that self-giving love, that the power will flow. You can't wait until you have enough power, because then we have a chicken and egg situation. As you start to do it, as you start moving in the Spirit's prompting to love, then Christ's power will flow in you, and you'll be connected to the vine. So I'm just going to close in prayer now. Thank you, Jesus, for these extraordinary words that you've given us, these promises that are almost almost too big for us to grasp. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to grasp them, that our lives will be connected with you, that, that as branches we will be connected totally into you, that your life will flow through us, and that life will just be glorious and full of power and that we will ask and receive because we are abiding in you, Mm -hmm. dwelling in you. Lord, we pray that you'll help us grasp what this victory is about and live it. Lord, Lord, we pray that you will reveal it to us. Lord, not just in um, in a cognitive way, but as we try and live this out in our experiences, prompt us, Lord, this day, this week, this month, prompt us with your love, with your Spirit. And may we choose to live, to dwell in you. Lord, we pray that these words will become life in us. In the name, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.